So though the central pivot of meditation is this uh, placing attention, listening, or pitaka, touching, where's that, opening, then you see that that's the kind of introduction. And then, but then with that listening quality, that can get very uh, profound because you pick up different qualities when you when you I'm using the word listening metaphorically when you open and sense deeply, you know, pick up different qualities, energies, uh, shifts, um, and then the kind of uh, uh, and the vitaka can be quite light, brisk, or sometimes just that one touch, and then you listen a long time. And then the mind starts to fade or lose its axis, and you come back and you do it again. So it's not, you don't have to be doing it rap, 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 like that. <laughs> but sometimes maybe you do. So this is all, you know, it's a craft. You know, you ask a, you know, a potter how they make their pots, or you ask a, you know, painter how they paint their paintings, or, or a, a carpenter, or, you know, wood person, how they, he or she, shapes wood and sometimes it's a hard chop, sometimes it's a chisel and sometimes it's a soft handling. A lot of the time they're just holding up and looking at it, hmm, maybe this, maybe that, don't really know about that. Hmm. You have to look at it and study it and get a sense of what is this medium capable of doing, you know. <laughs> yeah. So it's by no means, it's, it requires a wisdom of sensitivity. So now we're dealing with something that's extremely sensitive and uh, volatile and saturated with karmic impressions, you know, uh, and responsive. So when we're touching into body, which is itself an extremely sensitive formation with many energies and numb places and hyperactive places and stuff, and karmic accumulations within that, and also using a, a mind that has got its its distortions. But somehow, just using the striking and the, and the touching and the listening, that is the medium through which these two qualities begin to balance each other. You know, somehow, they find a balance because when it's right, the rightness of the touch, the resonance of that rightness resonates through body and mind. Oh yes, for that moment there's a settling, maybe for longer, you know, uh, maybe it's longer, you know, 10 seconds, 20 seconds, a minute, and then maybe another strike, a touch is needed, another shape is needed, another gentle, you know, inclination is needed, or maybe just more, just more space is needed, you know, and so this is the it's a very, you know, when it gets down to the details, it's very subjective. And as it's sometimes, you know, as it's said, you know, what will the jitta actually pick up? The image of the cook in the suttas, which I talk about frequently, you know, the two kinds of cook, the one who just dishes up the food, sticks it on the plate, puts it in front of the king and walks off. Doesn't notice what the king likes and what he doesn't like. Serves the same old stuff up next day. King doesn't notice the king doesn't like it. <laughs> Serves up the third day, fourth day gets the sack, gets fired. <laughs> there's, a, there's a sutta that talks about this. A skillful cook puts the food down, steps back and looks. He was the king, doesn't like that, he picks at that, he quite enjoys that. Next day, he doesn't serve up the food he doesn't like, he puts the food he does like on. Oh, the king looks pleased, he eats more of that. He, cook gets to know what the king will eat, what he enjoys. Maybe it changes from day to day, but he gets, he gets skilled at looking and attending. And the king likes that cook, gives him a raise, gives him promotion. And this is an image of how the um, practitioner has to develop this sensitivity and skill. And there's a certain relational, relational fluidity and a relational um, sensitivity that's required. And this itself 
such a thing to learn because, you know, if you can relate to this, you may be able to, you know, relating to other people. <laughs> could be good. <laughs> it could be not just a kind of clumsy uh, accident or mishaps. It could be something where you, how you, and you listen a lot and you find out how it's going to work together and how where you want to relax and let go and where you have to come forward and where you have to just wait and where you have to be sharp and when you have to be soft. And so this, this is definitely a skill, a life skill. You know? uh, and so the meditation themes can be quite simple. We're talking about Ajahn Mahabur, and he just used Bhutto was his main theme. He did do Anapana, but he didn't really, didn't seem to take to it. Anapanasati. So they do a lot of walking meditation. A lot of the forest speakers do a lot of walking meditation. And because it gave a certain firmness, I guess maybe the heat makes you rather sleepy. A lot of walking meditation. A lot of just Bhutto, 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 Bhutto. He's doing this, you know. And, uh, and training the mind to, to, to come back, come back, come back and listen rather than scamper off. So it does vary, and uh, you know, uh, there's, there's, the beauty of it is that we can learn as long as we're not too, you know, um, stuck in just following something doggedly because it says so in the book. Yeah. And yet, clearly, the books are by people who've got experience. You listen to them, look at that, see how much you can apply. See how much you can apply. If you're sincere and have integrity and willing to learn, you'll find you'll find what works for you. Now, I'm going to respond to some of your questions. Question. Term kusala akusala. This is the Pali phrase, Pali words, kusala akusala. Translated as either wholesome, unwholesome, kusala wholesome, akusala unwholesome, or skillful, unskillful. What is the relationship between wholesome and skillful? How do we connect skill, that is doing something, to chitta, awareness, knowing, receptivity? Is it jitta that performs skillful actions, or is the jitta mediated through the khandhas that perform skillful action? Would you say the meditator as a craftsman, a person of practical skill, is appropriate, meaningful, useful? Yeah, well, as I've suggested, it um, craft is a, is a good word. Yeah, and. Uh, you know, what a craftsperson is. They're not just um, a factory assembly line, but um, someone who knows the tools, knows the medium they're dealing with, knows their own capacities, puts the two together to bring out. And a true craftsperson will kind of really work with the material. They know what wood, so they don't splinter it. They work with it. And it works with them. They have to learn to be sensitive, uh, diligent, resourceful. And quite a bit of... Um, this is one of the things that forest tradition monks are often uh, pretty good craftspeople. It's, it's, it's kind of in, you know, encouraged. Because it gets you non-verbal. You have to learn through your, something much more... Uh, uh, less conceptual, direct. Um, and it takes skill to be wholesome in an effortless way. So skillful, unskillful, wholesome, unwholesome. And uh, certainly in Western circles, the good and bad can be very uh, angular experiences, very legalistic experiences, a lot of blame and, and so forth with them. Wholesome is better, perhaps. It's got this sense of something that feels good, nice, there's a wholeness. But it takes skill to be wholesome, <laughs> rather than just be right. 
being right isn't that difficult. <laughs> but being wholesome is much more, much more, uh, takes a lot more practice to be wholesome. Because you're right, you, everybody can be right. <laughs> and also with practice, wholesomeness has become effortless because the the unwholesome has just been eradicated. So it's just being natural. There's something lovely and natural about wholesomeness. It's not it's not righteous. And uh, yeah, it's jitta. Well, jitta the word applies to many things. Say the fundamental property is awareness. Uh, another fundamental property is it's um, it's affected. It's sensitive, sensitive awareness. Um, another fundamental property is it 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 centers. It seeks to center and find balance. Mm. Another fundamental property is it's naturally empathetic. It mirrors, and when it's sensitive and centered, it it readily mirrors. It means it feels for others. Uh, Without any effort, you naturally there's a natural uh, uh, sympathetic resonance that occurs, and this is very helpful for healing both relationships and isn't healing your relationship towards yourself, towards your mental states. There's something that's just naturally kind of loving in a in a unsentimental way. We begin to learn what love really is. Certainly not romance, it's not excited, it's a steady capacity to you know, receive and share and care for and uh, you know that which we meet. You know, take it to heart. And unfortunately um, you know, not everybody can do that because the heart is rather closed, fearful, defended. So, to, so it takes practice to allow this property of chitta to come forth. And chitta, another fundamental property is chitta uh, is embodied. And this gives it the support, the foundation, you know, so some ground there. Therefore, we can open because there's some we've got a sense of something here. You know, jitta is sometimes associated as it's so this quality of um, resonance you know, and empathy means there's jitta is definitely poised to intend. Sometimes it, it, the energy of jitta or the awareness of jitta naturally flows into um, uh, the body. You know, like it, rather like if you cut your finger, the body just starts healing it. You don't have to make an effort to heal it. It does it by itself. So similarly, if the jitta finds a place where it can feel comfortable and steady, it naturally goes into that. The wholesome. So this is part of the logic of meditation. You find something that jitta will naturally flow into. Oh yes, it, it it's gladdened by the calming or the energy or the steadiness or the simplicity. It's a, and it flows into it. So it does have the, an almost innate property to move towards wholeness, balance, and liberation. Yeah. Um, and then there can be much more um, firm intentionality, which arises um, as sankara. This is the quality of chaitana. And so chitta has chaitana, and chaitana is the volitional movement, which is a little stronger, perhaps, than just this natural awareness expanding. You know, so chaitana is, is a little bit more you know, oh, let's go that way, yeah. decisive, it makes a decision, let's do that. And then you, this is, then it operates sankara, so it's chitta sankara, it formulates action. 
intentionality. So, you know, and in meditation there can be, oh, this isn't working, well let's, wait a minute, let's try this. So that's, that's an intention. You know, or this is difficult, let's back off from that, that's an intention. Or maybe I should persevere with that, that's an intention. Something decisive occurs, jitta makes a decision. One of the translations of Sankara, not often used, but you know, I put it in here in your papers just as an example. It's sometimes called choice. Um, it, decisive, ah, that way. So all these are, this is like an out, outgrowth of citta, the citta sankara. And it's not you know, necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> it's, it's necessary to, to use this, say, okay, it's time to sit, make a decision to sit, make a decision to find the place where you can really, mm, let's get down to it. And so the first wobbly moments, you say, no, stay, no, stay, 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 just take a little more time. This is all citta sankara, deliberate, conscious application. And then after a while, that deliberate, conscious application perhaps is not needed anymore because the chitta has picked up something it feels gladdened by, then the volition is not necessary, or further volition is not necessary. And so this, this, because volition is so much associated with a sense of a doer, uh, it's necessary for that volition to eventually relax. And so in Nibbana there's no volition, that's gone. I mean the, the chitta is just opens by itself but we have to make those deliberate shifts and, and touches and changes to get the jitta up and running <laughs> if you see what i mean um person experiencing tension knots in the body by bringing attention a certain way these often gradually loosen and soften i've always understood this process as a kind of release of energy that's gotten stuck in the body but somehow it was also making a knot into a thing. I've recently I've begun to question the story of this process. Just having a story just seems to keep helping it repeat. There are endless past patterns to let go of. And I've begun to experiment with thinking these knots are simply empty. It seems to lighten the idea there's some thing to let go of. The reification of things to let go of was adding weight. Mm. Yeah, well, sounds maybe so. Um, generally, the more solid the object is, the more solid the subject gets. Um, you know, so then it ends up I am person who've got all these knots. I'm a knotted person. <laughs> So, you know, if we see, well, <laughs> uh, and then you're not all not. <laughs> and so it's sometimes just recognizing, well, it's these are forms and you know, we work with, and it's as uh, relationship is the key. And so that keeps things kind of open. What is right effort? In that case, so where the right effort is using wisdom regarding the nature of the thing that you're meeting and also the means. So does this make me more intense? If I think I've got all these knots I have to deal with, all these problems thought up over lifetimes, I've really got a karmic mess to mop up, that kind of mind state doesn't seem very helpful because that mind state isn't a skillful way to look at these difficulties. You know? I remember one of the Ajahn saying, his teacher told him, no, you, no, you've only got, don't worry, you've only got three problems. The rest of it's all right. You've only got three problems to deal with. He said, what's that? He said, oh, just greed, hatred and delusion. <laughs> That's all. 
<laughs> yeah, I thought it was funny anyway. <laughs> so if you make if you make too much of it, then in a, in a kind of strange way, you're almost giving it a little more room on the stage. You're making it more of a major feature than it need be. But at the same time, if you don't deal with it, then, then so it's just a, so just one thing at a time, just this moment of time. You don't have to undo a knot. You just have to, first of all, sense, get balanced, and move slowly to where you find there's a place where the jitta feels lighter or open. Don't don't conceive of a problem. Just meet the edge of what's yeah. Meet the edge a little bit at a time. When you find a knot, find the loose end that you can play with. That you can work around. Don't look at the big knotted centre of it. Just work on the loose bit in your own way. Yeah. And just make the practice something you can take an interest in so you don't get too intense and knotted up. And refer to the health, the, the good qualities. Otherwise you don't have the resources to to practice. Question, is thought consciousness the same as the Anutsaya, which I have heard referred to as the tendencies we lay down to sleep with, i.e. senses touching a consciousness which has already been imprinted? Mm, yeah, Anutsaya, word for latent tendencies, or tendencies that haven't, don't always surface, um, um, these are tendencies to, you know, to the standard stuff: ill will, conceit, uh, views and opinions, um, uh, sense desire, becoming, uh, and so, you know, why these are called latent is because generally we find situations, without where we don't really get out, difficult stuff doesn't get touched. You know, you tend to find it's bit of a comfort zone you can live in yeah. so then the stuff doesn't fly up because you, you know, things are pretty comfortable you're okay you're managing to fend things off you don't want to be with um, switch things off you don't want to deal with um, if you can um, so so then you yeah I'm okay I've got no problems okay well just this but then you know when you get locked in or you're in difficult situations, then you do find a lot of ill will or fear or anxiety. And these latent tendencies then come up. So this is why a lot of um, practices, a lot of it is about training and putting yourself outside your comfort zones to see what will, what it will bring up. You, know, you get enough comfort to feel the resources, and then you step out of the comfort zone, see what it would do to you. This is the way a person challenges the chitta. Mm-hmm. Buddha used the Dantabhumi Sutta, talks about the training of the elephant, the great elephant. First of all, you coax the wild elephant out of the jungle by feeding it bananas and stroking it, get it feel comfortable, and then you start to train it. You know, to go forward, to go back, and then you, then eventually it will go out, and it will be strong, and it will even meet uh, armies and be resilient. So this is the warrior-like image. You go out and you meet the fears and the anxieties and the um, you know things that annoy you, um, things that irritate you, things that exasperate you, and you meet them with a resilient, fortified chitta. So your latent tendencies uh, can be revealed and then eliminated. And this is what arahantship's about. <laughs> Person asks questions about the Thai forest tradition. Any information on your lineage, in particular way of teaching Dharma? It's 
spoke about the Burmese and Sri Lankan versions of Buddhist teachings. You didn't mention your own. How is your particular way of teaching in line with the Thai forest tradition and what way is it not? So the first question. Um, you know, my, my in-depth personal experience of the Thai forest tradition in Thailand is, is minimal. You know, I mostly got second-hand. You know, I have uh, spent time in various forest monasteries, but I think you you know really I wouldn't be a good judge on that. You know, people who spent 10, 20 years in it might really know fully. But from what I've seen, observed, been with and and uh, heard about and so forth, the main difference is that Thai forest tradition is, is non-scholastic. Sometimes they, they don't even allow you to read books, or very minimal. If they don't read your book, read a heart, read your own heart. So it's, it's non-intellectual, it's pugnaciously so. <laughs> Whereas you know, Sri Lankan will tend to favour suttas and um, commentaries, and uh, Burmese uh, uh, commentaries, Abhidharma and suttas. Thai tends to be more like Vinaya. Thai's forest tradition is very strong on vinaya. This means behaviours, protocols, procedures, ways of doing things. A little more than just ethics, it's also etiquette, proper ways of respect, duties you pick up, uh, places you go to, places you don't go to. It's not just don't do it, also says you should. You should look after your kuti, you should look after your teacher, you should you know, there are definitely duties to be done, and there are many of them. And so they put more emphasis on lifestyle, with the sense, I think, partly because what Ajahn Mun uh, in the 19th century found, well, most of the monastics had just become basically either priests, that is doing ceremonies for, for people, for house blessings and births and weddings and good luck, or they were scholars, and the scholars said, you, you know, nobody can realise Nibbana these days, you've got to wait till Maitreya Buddha comes along. They got it all figured out in their heads. And he thought, well, this is crazy, why, why be a monk then? <laughs> What's, why be a monk if you can't realise Nibbana? What's the point of it? So he thought, well, if I live, try to live like the Buddha did, if I put myself, try to live like he did, then, you know, maybe I'll learn from that. The Buddha didn't have a book. Uh, to learn from. He learned from life in the forest, uh, from dealing with what happened. I'll do that. So that's what he did. And that's the general standard of the, 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 Thai, the Thai forest tradition. Learn from the earth, learn from nature. There are actually quite a few different forest lineages and traditions. Mm. But I would say they all, they all have that in common. Um, Minimal study, mostly earth practice behaviours, and putting yourself in fairly uh, uncomfortable situations or you know things which are minimalist. And so these early forest monks wasn't too difficult because life was very minimalist in the nineteen twenties, nineteen thirties, out northeast of Thailand. It was it, everybody was minimalist. You know, there was a lot of malaria, wasn't so much food. You had to be tough just to physically survive. Uh, so the idea of getting alms food, you might not get much at all. Just a bit of sticky rice and a, maybe some chilli paste or maybe a banana now and then. So it was, it was tough life. Um, and uh, they, they, they embraced that rigour. Uh, so it brought up a kind of like a rigorous warrior spirit. That's an aspect of the you know, revered image of the forest tradition is the kind of spiritual warrior, yeah. um, enduring hardship. Um, and meditation, yeah, there's a lot of meditation, but often the meditation system is extremely simple, like just buddho, walking up and down reciting buddho, 
or reflecting on the parts of the body, even thinking through hair, nails, the teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, just kind of pretty basic earthy stuff. Um, nothing sophisticated, no levels, no stages, just you just do that and uh, until the jitta settles down, opens up and the feeling is it will reveal its own truths. And as we've seen, uh, very thoroughly trained and highly respected meditation master like Ajahn Mahabur saying some things that from a scholar's point of view are very controversial. You know, they say, well, you know, that's the way it seems to me. <laughs> and they're pretty and you know and totally confident and never never backing down from his own personal realization. So a lot of emphasis on personal realization rather than measuring in a book. Those are standards of, the, of all the forest lineages. Now, the, most of them have a lot of reclusive, solitary practice, including Ajahn Mahabur's monastery, where they might only meet briefly for, for the arms round, and then everybody goes off to the kutis. Might only be a talk once a month, or once a fortnight, otherwise you spend your time on your own. Ajahn Chah's monastery is very different, a lot of it's community-based. Ajahn Chah was a big community person. So a lot of the practices that then are involved with just how you relate to other people. And he felt this was a very good way of um, practicing because often other people are the, are the experiences that get under your skin, up your nose, on your back, and uh, take you out of your comfort zone. <laughs> So this is good. Yeah, it's good. It rubs your hard edges off. You've got to learn to act together in harmony. So that's a, that's a major practice. Uh, unlike Tividad and Shah, has got the impish sense of humour, a bit of a joker, a bit of a trickster. Uh, and so they'd often throw tricks at you, throw you into some situation to see what would happen. Ajahn Mahabur was also like a formidable tiger just pounce on people and give them a roar at them you know so this kind of uh jujitsu sort of training <laughs> you're in you know <laughs> it's a judo academy <laughs> nobody tells you the moves you've got to figure it out for yourself <laughs> so that that's the kind of <laughs> standard mm. So there's no, you know, this is this stage, and then we get to that stage, and quiet meditation, often the meditations will be noisy, you know, because of monkeys screeching, or chick, chickens howling, or something like that. It's just, you know, practice, keep practicing. Elephants roaring, keep practicing. Because they'd have wild elephants, or even tame elephants. They have elephant festivals where they set off gigantic rockets. The elephants are all trumpeting and roaring away in the villages, and I said, just don't focus on the elephants, focus on your breathing. So it's pretty challenging stuff. And, you know, the theme is always just find a way where you can let go. Let go of your, your desires, your irritation, your frustrations, and the chitta will come through. So there's, there's, there's a rough compassion in it. You can't say these people were uncompassionate. Absolutely not, but it was tough love. Now, of course, things change. Uh, I don't. Nowadays, these uh, all the wilderness has been cut down. The only pieces of jungle that are left are inside the monasteries because they've cut everything else down. So it's it's very difficult to find that that kind of rigorous environment. Um, So it's naturally maybe the last generation of that sort of experience. So with Ajahn Chah's monasteries they tend to use this these uh, what they call the standards and trainings as as things to, to work with. You know, where you have to do certain duties, you have to um, and that takes you out of, you know, keeps challenging your your desire um, to be on your own. Or if you want to be on your own, you can't be on your own. If you like being in a group, you get sent off on your own. If 
you're someone who likes to work, you're told to meditate. If you like to meditate, you're told to work. So you're always being kind of challenged in some way or another. And the sense is you've got to, you know, cooperate and support the place. So he says, you know, there's a, one of his, Ajahn Chah's famous one-liners that somebody said, what's your meditation technique? And he went, frustration. I frustrate my disciples, that's my technique. And he can be very fierce as well, very fierce. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, really full on. Um, that's a tremendous authority. Now, you know, why that changes, though, in the West, in the situation is because there are no, there are no forests, no wildernesses. Um, there's no very difficult to find dis- that much discomfort. Discomforts when the central heating breaks down, which it does every year, you have to freeze a bit. <laughs> That's about as it doesn't get nobody really gets that sick. Um, but um, you know, the challenge here is, of course, in the West, you've got to deal with all kinds of uh, psychological issues that people come up with, um, and uh, also you have to deal with the complexities, forest monastery. The, the, as far as the Sangha goes, the Thai government, by and large, almost regards them as a separate republic or separate monarchy. You can, within the monastery, the monastery rules apply. It's almost like that's yours. So, health and safety procedures, forget it. No health and safety procedures. Health and safety procedures to take take the refuges and precepts. That's it. Building procedures, no building procedures. But here we're highly regulated, so it's all we have to deal with all this regulation, which is both hindering, but also eventually becomes another practice for patience and for clarity and so on. But, um, you know, we're in a different society, in a different mindset. And as I've suggested earlier, the you know one of the features that one comes up against pretty quickly is how uh, the psychologies and the mindsets uh, of Western societies are different from Asian, and particularly rural Asian, where some of the, you know literacy wasn't even that high. They have a lot of complicated thinking. There's a very firm family structure. They don't have dystopias and dissociations and um, you know this kind of stuff. So it's in a way it's, it's kind of healthy in a primary way. But when we come to the West, we've got people with all kinds of behaviour disorders, um, authority issues, addictive issues, um, psychological damage, abusive, have been abused, um, so forth. So you've got some pretty rickety stuff. You can't just say, okay, you know, you know, you can't, you can't apply a simple warrior mentality. <laughs> Because people crack up. <laughs> There's some fundamental damage. There's it has to be a lot more sensitive to how things work and you know. So a lot of my practice in a way is earthy, but it's a different earth. My practice is about dealing with life as it comes up, but it's a different kind of life. Uh, and I've found also, after years, I've found some benefit in looking at the scriptures just to try to get a simple, in the, in the um, complexities you know, of spiritual traditions. You know, in Thailand, you've only got basically one tradition, Theravada Buddhism. You know? And so, you know, you can do a basic level of that, that's it. Everybody knows Triple Gem precepts they don't always keep them but they've got the main thing so you've got that even the Thai language has adopted words from the Pali and Sanskrit that are from the scriptures as part of their language so they actually speak Buddha Buddha language in their own way and so you talk about jit jitta jit jai and it's here my jit jai my understanding it's jitta here my jit jai you know and uh, and so they actually you know, Buddhism is 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 steep. Thailand is steeped in Buddhist language and Buddhist concepts and Buddhist culture. 
So, you, you know, once you've got the basic stuff and, you know, you know, skillful, unskillful, defiled and undefiled, faith in the triple gem, practice, you've got it, you know. <laughs> and it's just finding a situation to keep at it and resolve to it. Uh, in the West, you've got a huge, you know, variety of spiritual traditions with all the language complexities and confusions. And so, well, actually, wait a minute. What actually is the Buddha saying? I want to try to get that and, and get a feel for it. And so I certainly, I don't study a lot, but I studied a bit. Um, you know, and different social situations that one's with. Um, I don't really particularly want to go on with that. Not because it's just fine, but I'm not being dismissive. I just feel, well, I'm talking about me all the time. It's not <laughs> what this session's about. I talked about stepping back out of the conditioned into the unconditioned. Is it the unrestricted, unbounded chitta you're referring to? Yes, essentially. So stepping back is one simple phrase, but um, yeah, you know, it's, it, can be, it can be quite a quite a long step and quite a carefully man, man, you know step to undertake. How you relinquish without rejecting or denying, but how you relinquish the hold and what enables one to do that. My my add add to that, like with letting go, for example, you let go because you've got something else that will support, and that's how it process works. You know, first of all, you've got a little bit of steadiness and calm, so you can go back to that and release release the fascination with the senses. You know? And then you've got a sense of faith and openness, which means you don't have to have so many ideas. So you can let go of those because you have faith and openness. And, you, know, you have a sense of self-respect. Therefore, you don't have to keep proving yourself. So you can let go of that. Mm-hmm. And so every degree of letting go requires a fruition of something else to enable the jitta to, to withdraw because it's got something else to stand on. And ultimately, the jitta stands on itself stands in itself. So the fully realized jitta is able to stand in itself and let phenomena go. There's no phenomena. <laughs> There's no phenomena, it's just awareness, no phenomena. But that's a, a graduated process. How is Yoni Soma Nisikara different from mindfulness? Can you give a specific example of its use? Well, mindfulness is is um, bearing something in mind. You bear something in mind. Uh, maybe you're bearing an idea in mind. You've got something. Oh, right, that got it. You can be mindful of the phenomenon of impermanence. So you keep holding that in your mind and check that out against the experience. Mindfulness could be your body. So there's a body here, and all those straggly thoughts don't give many attention, stay with this. So mindfulness bears a particular idea, topic, theme, mood, sensation, four foundations, a feeling, a wholesome, skillful state, bears it in mind. So it's it's a concentration system, mindfulness. There's two features to it. One, it discards or moves away from or shields that which is not to be born in mind. So don't bother with that. So it shields. The other feature is it nourishes because you're you're mindful of something where the jitter is getting some good food. Mindfulness then bears in mind that which is supportive and repels or stands against that which is unsupportive. So there's a firmness to it, like, like a hand. You've got the back hand, back of the hand is hard, defends, front of the hand is soft, receives. That's sati. You bear something in mind like your hand. Now, Yoni Samri Sikara is much more active, and it's rather like the fingers. How's that? How's that? Taste that. 
no, no, not that, that. Um, so it's 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 like a almost like an inquiry, but uh, inquiry is is this suitable or not? Is this helpful or not? No, then don't bother with it. So it acts as the agent of mindfulness. Say this is what you should bear in mind because having checked all this stuff out, this is the point you should be should be with in mindfulness. Good, I'll be with that. So for example, you want an example? Mind is what should I do? I'm thinking about this. Well, I should go here or there. Well, is this is the right place for me. Maybe, maybe I could be some doing something else. And so, what am I supposed to be meditating on anyway? I don't really understand this practice. And the only so many Sikara would say, this is called doubt. <laughs> that is having it prunes. It says, well, rather than follow that, you go to the root. This is doubt. And then it might go further, this is suffering. You're generating suffering. Yeah. So the only somnisika then bear that in mind. Look at look at this nature of doubt. Okay. How does that feel? Mindfulness says holds that. And then you get another quality called Dhamma Vijaya, which acts after mindfulness. Yeah. So having borne something in mind, Dhamma Vijaya says, well, right, is that, let's have a look at that. Where does that come from? What's that about? So then it digs in. So Yonisomani Sikara acts as the primary agent that gets you to the point. Mindfulness finds that point, bears it in mind, Dhammavijaya explores the meaning and the roots of it. Um, one example given in the suttas, it says, you know, the person's thinking, what was I? What was in a previous life? If I do this, what will I be like in a future life? Uh, is it, am I like this in this life because of that? Or am I not like this? Do I exist? Do I not exist? Why do I exist? Should I exist? And then he says, well, this is not the sort of thing you attend to. You don't follow that movement you know, because it's just going to go you into the tangle of views and opinions. Instead, what you notice is, ah, Feels like suffering to me. This is suffering. So the only Somni Sikara gets to the point what the mind is doing. Doesn't follow the, the, the outflows. All this means that. Then, okay. This is the nature of doubt. Let's establish some sati, mindfulness of how that experience is, is operating, and grounding, and then you can see something can then be discarded in that. The only so many sikara means when we're walking along the street or driving, you know, you say, well, do you need to look in the stores or not? And so, you know, it gives you some sense of don't bother, don't bother, don't bother. Get stay in the point, stay on theme, find the right theme, uh, find what you should apply your mindfulness to. At the same time, if you're sitting still in meditation, you know, and you're meditating, trying to be mindful of that, and then maybe the dog is barking, oh, dog barking, dog barking, noise, dog barking, noise. Being mindful of breathing it out, dog barking. And then the only so many Sikara might say, <clears throat> I think the dog needs to go out. <laughs> Could you be mindful of the dog? <laughs> yeah, so it, 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 it keeps you relevant you know, to, to, to what's happening, to the theme in mind. Because yeah. you can get into this kind of you know mindfulness fundamentalism where you're sitting there and you know, no matter what happens. Uh, I remember somebody saying that at a retreat center, one of the yogis was kind of coughing and falling falling on the floor, and everybody else was sitting around being mindful <laughs> and ignoring him because <laughs> he, he was a noise. <laughs> he said, so actually, it might have been useful to be mindful of this fellow's. You know, obviously in a bad way, and could we help him? You know, so that 
Yoni Sikara doesn't cease with mindfulness. It's always there as a as that which helps to to um, you know see what's the right right point at this particular moment. Hope that's helpful. Um, and these things probably shade into each other. Mm. Somebody's asking about the Venerable Panyavado's um, ruminations on the nature of chitta and asking me to paraphrase it but rephrase it. Well, it's Venerable Panyavado's statements um, yeah, and I think it's there for you to, to um, make what you will of. And yes, it does sound, as you say, like, oh, what's this? This sounds like Atman and Brahma. You know, the chitta as the supreme self merging, you know, to the cosmos. And that's exactly what people find themselves uh, alarmed by. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. so this is why it's slightly controversial. Uh, but certainly this this theme of there being a kind of a Jitdurn, a plain, unadorned jitta, doesn't say it's the only one, but it said behind everything else, when you strip right down, there is this unadorned jitta that is awareness with no boundaries and so forth. And, but then you don't, if you'd really understood the Upanishads, what do they mean by Brahman anyway? I don't think it's some three headed god sitting on a cloud somewhere. So maybe, maybe, they're, maybe they're pointing the same thing, and maybe that's okay. Meanwhile, <laughs> I think what, what we have to really humbly recognize is, well, maybe so, I'll keep practicing with what's happening here. Uh, and they're trying to present something that's an encouragement of something rather wonderful, enlightenment's rather, you know, a beautiful, wonderful experience, not just um, Niroda as an extinction. I'll stop there for this, this session.